0: Live from the Business Radio X studio in Atlanta, it's time for Dental Business Radio. Brought to you by Practice Quotient. Practice Quotient bridges the gap between the provider and payer communities. Now here's your host, Patrick O'Rourke. Hi there, friends of the dental business community. This is your host, Patrick O'Rourke. And I have a special edition of Dental Business Radio today had a recent conversation with Dr. Mark Cooper about medical dental integration and some of the research that he has seen and his initiative to get together a conference of the leaders on a national level in 2021 to help push the conversation in a meaningful way forward. I'd like to share that conversation with you now. Special thanks to our sponsor, Practice Quotient, PPO Negotiations and Analysis, www.practicequotient.com. Also, special thanks to Dr. Mark Cooper. I enjoyed this conversation very much, and I think you will too.
1: This is a dialogue, a conversation, because you've been in the industry a long time, and you've worked yourself up from the ground up a few times to create something pretty special. And in my view, context is decisive. So here we are having a contextual shift in the industry that you make your money. And you pay for your bills and you have all this stuff that you emanate from. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, all questions are open. And I, I'm sure I don't have all the answers. I don't even have some of the answers. But I do know that things are going to change. And I'm pretty clear in the direction they're going to change. Now, what they're specifically going to look like at the end, uh, hard to say, but there are a couple models that are emerging that are pretty cool. And one of those is going to be, you know, the next Amazon of teeth or something who, you know, there's going to find something that really grabs hold that wins.
0: Okay. I agree with that. I agree with that statement. Um, And so I guess let me kind of start off my comments as the medical dental integration conversation has been happening for as long as I can remember. So I've been in the business for 20 years, more, a little over. Uh, We've been talking about it. When I say we, I mean the insurance industry as a whole. So I've given a hundred presentations on the uh, link between oral health care, and systemic health care. And this has always been there. The insurance industry as a whole, this is just my perception, uh, has never been able to really quantify it or find enough reason to quantify it themselves to integrate it. And even though there's a lot of smart people and a lot of money that went into it and has been into it in the past couple of years. And so knowing all of that, I'm always a little bit, um, um, I, I don't know. It's like, I've heard this before, if that makes sense. And so, I guess my first question would be, and that's how I start off my commentary, being that uh, you know I'm I'm fairly neutral. I understand the systemic link and to oral healthcare. Um, number one, what is the number one factor that is creating change into that? Into 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 the integration movement now, from the provider and/or investor community or government.
1: Uh, number of ways to answer that question. My claim for the conference we're doing is: is it's a time that's come. So it's been ongoing for 25 years. And it's been moved forward for that length of time by really bright academicians, researchers, and universities. But it's never crossed the chasm to implementation. So when I look at the industry right now, what I see is the, the first fish on land about this. We see, I don't know if it'll be an eagle or an elephant, but there are people that are spending money, time, and executive talent. hmm this out. And you mentioned Steve Thorne's name, but there are others that are, will be at the conference. So it is now in action. Action requires commitment. So where it went from is this possibility that the systemic and oral link, if they were actually intertwined and managed, would alter the terrain dramatically of healthcare in many different ways, particularly chronic diseases. So we have this entrepreneurial activity, we have action, we have commitment, and we have people now seeing something they haven't seen before, uh, which is more quality data Than's ever been out there, not conjecture, not case study, not any of that. There's cohort studies being uh, done where they're comparing populations of certain disease states and what happens when that oral care is delivered. Those cohort studies, the data from those will shock, will be shocking enough to start to change the axis. I'm a healthcare payer. I'm an employer. And here I can have something that is much less expensive than if I don't treat it downstream. What am I going to do? Well, th- <clears throat> the emphasis is going to be placed on moving primary care or point of care functions into a dental office because it's much less expensive and much easier to do.
0: So then what? Well, in a PCP? I
1: give immunization in a dental office during a hygiene appointment, or I can do a viral test, or I can do There's numbers of points of care where I can go through a particular protocol or regime regime. And if I'm integrated into the healthcare system, I save the healthcare system, lots of dollars and they, and the patient lots of time and dollars too. The only way you're going to control healthcare costs is, is to, we don't have enough resources. I think COVID demonstrated that, that we, the, we have a, our healthcare system has an has a underbelly and we don't have enough providers, we don't have enough resources, we don't have enough. And uh, if our money is being spent on chronic disease management, the easiest thing to do is to, if we incorporate dental into that, we'll reduce the amount of money and time spent on managing those disease states. So I think it's the obvious. I think it's, oh, okay. How, now, how do we go about doing that? Well, that's what I just spoke about. Entrepreneurs are now doing it. Kaiser is
0: now doing it. Mm-hmm. So, Kaiser's been doing it for a while.
1: Yeah, um, he's going to talk at, at this conference because he's the bravest man I know to have gone against the system to deliver something that has never been done before. It's quite remarkable what he's accomplished, but it's a closed system. And so he's got all the parts, Steve Thorne and his work in moving this out into an open system is going to be tremendous. It's going to be interesting. And Steve's brilliant. So, you know, he, and he spent he knows how to get stuff done.
0: Mm-hmm. And so just for, you know, listeners and our producer John Ray here, who um, doesn't have as much experience in the healthcare world. What we're talking about is the cost drivers of healthcare are chronic conditions, diabetes, for example. Um, chronic care are the what drives the healthcare cost spirals out of control, and this has been happening for decades and nobody's been able to really get this under control. Even with all the technology today, uh, where you can get your insulin checked, uh, and there's different apps that you can have. And so, you know, there's certainly no lack of opportunity for somebody who wanted to control their own cost of care or their own chronic condition to do so. And so one of the I think barriers is the patients themselves. I agree. Personally.
1: So when you take a look at that problem or issue, who is the expert in behavioral change and prevention in the whole healthcare industry? Who, who is that? I go into a medical office. I'm scared shitless because I got something wrong with me. They tell me what to do. By the time I leave, I'm not even thinking about what they told me what to do. And it's a 15-minute appointment. Now, I take a look on the dental side. We have a hygienist who's going to spend an hour with me who I'm pretty comfortable with because it's just a cleaning appointment.
0: Mm -hmm. Talk
1: to me about my A1C and my diet and talk to me about making some changes. So there is an opportunity for a relationship-based conversation rather than an information-based conversation to occur in the dental office, which has the greatest impact in behavioral change. So there's one opportunity here for that.
0: That, That's a good point. Okay, I'll buy that. Now, I'm I'm just going to devil's advocate here with you because I I enjoy debating. (laughs) That's great. And... So one of the reasons why a dental practice can spend that much time and a primary care physician practice cannot is because of the level of reimbursement. Correct. And so the primary care physician practice by and large are tied down because of consolidation in the healthcare payer space and because of the ACOs, because of Medicare, um, being an artificial um, draw or a, a floor or a ceiling, however you want to look at it, um, tying healthcare or the reimbursement rates to Medicare, which was never intended to do. That's what it's become. And so the concern from a financial perspective in a business perspective that I would have is right now we have A group of, uh, you know, an organization like the ADA, we have dentists, we have a discipline and what they're doing is good. And yes, they have time and they're delivering quality of care because they have the time as they're able to do that. Um, You know, if you tie them into the Medicare type system, you know, uh, I think that it will look a whole lot different. It won't, we won't be talking about the same thing. It's like, you know, wouldn't it be great to have that SUV, but we, you know, we're going to be paying mule prices for it. Does that make sense?
1: Yep. Uh, I'm engaged in the same issue that you are. How are dentists going to get paid if they move to a more medical model? one of the things that's <clears throat> floating around is the cost savings to the system just take a diabetic case that goes from let's say 7000 to 2000 a year because they're getting their teeth cleaned 3 times a year and they have that conversation with the hygienist about their self care how about one of the things <laughs> is to we want a piece of the savings now, if you take a look at healthcare care itself, like that. and you're knee deep in this, there is a shift to value-based care, pay for performance, whatever you want to call that, is now beginning to emerge as one of the themes in third-party coverage in the terms of the medical side. Now, the people do what they get paid for. It's pretty simple. We're mm-hmm. paying people to fix things, not prevent things. Mm -hmm. As this thing comes into play, someone's going to have to figure out the um, amount of money the system saves and parcel a bit of that out to the dentists so they're incentivized to keep people healthy rather than to fix their teeth. Mm -hmm. And And you also mentioned Medicare. The people that I'm talking to think that dental benefits will eventually in the next couple of years be an expression of Medicare as well. And that will change a lot of things. Yeah, so
0: it our, certainly would. But the idea of putting additional benefits and costs into Medicare, that, and, and this is just my opinion, but right now, you know, when you, you look at Medicare, where I hear folks talk about single payer, I tell them, We have single payer right now, all of us, we all pay into it. It's all on our payroll. It's FICA taxes. And we're all paying into this one payer system and it's called Medicare. And it's for when you retire, you're supposed to have health care, right? And Medicare Advantage, what Medicare Advantage is, is that's when, you know, the private insurance companies went to Uncle Sam and they said, Hey, Uncle Sam, you're awful at benefits administration, right? You know it, we know it, so for every dollar that you spend, how about you just pay us ninety five cents and then we'll put everything that's in Medicare plus an advantage, and the advantage could be you know gym membership, dental, what sizzle, extra prescription, et cetera, et cetera and this program has largely been very successful and now turned into a trillion dollar business with the you know baby boomers and So this is big business now, but really Medicare is that successful. Now Medicare Advantage is successful, but if you look at a portion of what our federal government spends on healthcare, and then you look at the percentage of people that it covers. So if this is our budget, right? Medicare and Medicaid are covering how many? 10% maybe how much of the budgets already is spending. No, At least 20%, probably more. So if we want to cover 10%, but we're spending 20, then that's going to blow our budget. We're not going to have money for schools or roads or bombs or, you know, anything else. And adding a cost to it, it makes, you know, I question that.
1: It's a good question. I have the same question. However, if we look from a system viewpoint, and this, you know, when you're spending 3.7 trillion dollars a year and it's not working,
0: mm-hmm. maybe
1: just maybe someone will wake up and go, "Holy shit, this doesn't work." So we tried all these other things to make it work, one of the which you just talked about. Um, If we knew that dental interaction would save us $10,000 downstream, that becomes an attractive, low-hanging fruit for us because I control regulations and I can mandate and license. So there are things that can be done if that government starts to move in that direction with Medicare. It will be interesting. We're not prepared for it. We are a fee-for-service do the highest-end care that you can do for the largest dollar. <clears throat> but that may not carry the day. The context, as I said in the beginning, is changing. And um, context is decisive. So I think it, it, things will be pushing and forcing their way to, hey, man, you you've got to do your job so I can save it downstream where I can keep people healthier because healthier people cost less. It's they
0: do. I think that that's, that's a valid point. And I think, and I don't, I don't disagree with it. You know, you got to remember here, I'm I'm fairly neutral. So I'm just giving you my observations. The government has the largest payer and as a taxpayer, frankly, you know, should they then mandate everybody go get dental checkups and make sure that people are, you know, taking their diabetes and their insulin and that we're setting up a different venue, if you will. Uh,
1: How much will that happen given the resistance that will meet in the face of the organized dentistry to change what they do and become, ultimately it's about responsibility. Right now they're only responsible for the oral cavity. If you follow this path, And, you know, you look at your computer screen, and you have your diagnostics, and you have your piece of the electronic patient record, and you're part of a cohort team treating a patient for a particular disease, you know, all that changes. I can't be the same for-profit dentist I was before. Very good point. Yeah, I have to be a responsible agent for the patient's overall health, not just their oral health. So, So these are the battles. It's okay. You can't. The, the, you you talked about the, the Hannah uh, Hannibal, the force of the government. There, <laughs> you know, it's it's like okay, they're coming, man. They're they're coming. They see how much it costs, and where they're going to go is for low hanging fruit. Low hanging fruit is get your teeth cleaned three times a year and save us seven thousand dollars. And you know how you do it? Well, that's your problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean they're still going to. If you look at the PCP shortage, or even what's happening right now with the nurse shortage, and they are not short, like they're paying the nurses quite well, or like that's very, very, very good money, but you still can't find enough of them. And so, who who's going to pay for? I don't know what dental school costs one, these days.
1: One of the things, a couple of things that I'm stewing on, which you probably should uh, hear. Number Please. one, I think the uh, I think the DSOs, if they were smart, they would get together and generate their own dental schools, because you can do that, and that
0: that's a great idea.
1: Huge numbers of problems in terms of who what comes out. Two is if you look at Kaiser, uh, their hygienists are part of the nurses union; they get paid as nurses. They get a pretty damn good salary. In addition, if I'm doing primary care, if I'm doing immunizations or viral testing or uh, medical consult, they have a corresponding medical code number. So the revenue center in terms of what hygienists do is going to be more significant. The question that I'm addressing is, it's going to change the relationship of the dentist to the hygienist because now the hygienist becomes more premier in an integrated office. And that will have some ramifications. But That's interesting. in the North, where you are, their hygienists are asking for permission to give immunizations or they can already. But that opens up Pandora's box. Because if you can give immunizations, then you can give measles, then you can give chicken pox, then you can give uh, shingles, then you can, you know, keep on going down. And then when you use that pulse oximeter, you can let us know about oxygen consumption. And so pretty soon the integration occurs in a moving upward way because now I can get it done in the dental office for 150 an hour as opposed to the medical office at 300 an hour. So there's all kinds of things that begin to look pretty attractive here.
0: That's a very good point. I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that has puzzled me over the course of the past 10 years is that is sleep apnea. So I had the surgery done in 2009. So I went and had the sleep test done. And, uh, you know, I was a younger man at the time. Right. So I'm in my 30s. And, uh, so I went and I went to the place in Roswell, Georgia, and they put up a bunch of, you know, hooked me a bunch of wires up and I go into the room and read a book and I go to sleep and I wake up the next morning. i like, wow, I got a great sleep. And they're like, you just like broke all the records. You have like 30 <laughs> seconds of REM sleep. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, but I w- would fall asleep driving. I'd fall asleep. If you didn't talk to me for three minutes, basically I was go, I would go to sleep. And then they they brought me in this room and they had all these like Darth Vader looking masks. And and I said, look, I'm not, I'm not doing any of that. Uh, I mean, Mark, you know me well enough. Probably by now I'm kind of do what I say. And I say what I'm going to do. And if I don't want to do something, I'm not going to do it. And so I said, I'm not going to do any of that. And they were like, well, then you need surgery. And I said, okay, let's go. Uh, So we scheduled it out. And when I say it was life-changing, I mean, change my hurt. (laughs) <laughs> more than I thought it would for, you know, two or three weeks, but, uh, I lost a bunch of weight. I never, I don't fall asleep now when people aren't talking to me. I still like naps. Don't get me wrong. But, um, and my weight went down. And so everything about it is like, it's to me, the rare win-win between the provider, the payer and the patient communities. Where you have it, obviously, there's it's empirical evidence that demonstrates that, you know, reducing your sleep apnea is going to reduce your chronic care cost. There's no like zero doubt. Nobody's going to argue with that. Mm. Uh, it's better for the patient because they're healthier, they feel better, and it should be a win for the provider. And for some reason, this thing cannot get off the ground with the dental practices, despite lots and lots of effort. I'm puzzled by this because I thought that the payer industry would push it really hard and would be rewarding folks. And in some instances it's worked uh, and, and a lot it hasn't. And that's been disappointing to me.
1: Yeah. Well, there's, there's many of those examples available in terms of making people better that is not instituted. So where I look is where are the points of resistance to have this thing occur? And what I look for is without an integration, this, the capacity of this happening is going to be diminished. The other part is, is you're a responsible healthcare consumer. So you spend intellectual and emotional time trying to figure stuff out for yourself, what works best for you. I'm one of you. I, you know, I kind of have my fingers in all my healthcare issues.
0: I hope to live as long and fruitful life as you, Marco. <laughs> so I,
1: so one of the things is, is it, how do you enhance the responsibility of the consumer? Bingo. I'm, I'm talking to a lot of us are engaged in this conversation of trying to move primary care more into a dental environment. So uh, I was speaking with Colgate not too long ago, and their view is is let's get the consumer interested, because that putting pressure up from the bottom up seems to be a pretty solid way to go. And they're working on programs that, you know, if you're a diabetic and you walk into your dentist's office, hey, I'm a diabetic too, Uh, my A1C is here, it's above seven, you know, what I heard is you're supposed to check it at every recall visit. You know, just those presses, same thing. <laughs> the, the, the studies are getting more extravagant. So now they have found the link between Alzheimer's, dementia, and cancer, and oral disease. I mean, it's getting to be like, uh-oh, this is starting to become a much larger conversation than it has been for the last 20 years. In my view, Patrick, one of the things I, I when I look at the how the world operates is you can envision it as a network of conversations. I have conversations with myself, I have conversations with my immediate family, I have conversations in the industry, I have have all these conversations, and you can imagine these nodes are the people I'm having the conversation with. When the conversation gets really large, it changes everything. Cell phone, computer, electric car, you know, that's the stuff. I think this conversation is getting large enough to be able to impact the way things are.
0: I don't, I agree with you and I applaud you for putting it together and, you know, frankly, I'd like to participate. I'll be there. I want to hear what everybody has to say.
1: You you have, you have a scholarship to be there. Oh, sweet. Although you will have to buy me drinks and cigars beyond that we should be fine.
0: I I keep those with me all the time, don't worry. Um,
1: I I think you've really thought this well through, and uh, you see all the uh, barriers that have to be uh, disassembled. But when the pressure from the outside gets great, those walls do crumble. I watch what happens with computers. I watch what happened. I did a piece in 1987 at the North Nevada Dental Group or a society and I held up my Toshiba notebook with a plasma screen and the battery the size of a car hmm. this, this is the future of your practice they all had five by seven recall cards they all had paper charts they all had all that stuff now you know they, they but when it changes it changes people are going to figure out how to make money at this
0: uh, the one question that I'm interested in too is, you know, I work with a lot of oral surgeons and a lot of other specialists in addition to just general dentists. And I have some clients that do medical billing and, and I know a lot of the other medical billing experts um, out there. And we're we're on very good terms. Hutan, Christine Taxon, how y'all doing? And, um, you know, one of the things where those guys come back at me sometimes and they say, Pat, you know, you're always knocking the medical bill and, and I said, no, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that I don't see, you know, show me the money. I'll get Jerry Maguire here real fast. All right. Then that's what it all comes down to for me. Show me the money. Where's the money at? And now uh, Hutan has, has shown me a few times, but it seems to be very regional. Um, and I know where the medical building comes in with oral surgery. I've seen it happen too with them. And we have lots of them all over the country and, but no matter what you got to get, you got to hire people to go chase down your 20 cents on the dollar. Now, occasionally you may be able to be in a, an area like California, or you have a partnership with Kaiser and they are a little bit more flexible and, um, um, that's the word I'm looking for, logical, um, where they have they have more of an open mind and they're able to um, look at different ways that actually make sense to bring down healthcare costs because they're not stuck in the the corporate box, right? They're not just pulling a lever. Um, with all due respect to everybody in the industry, but the medical billing has not been the this. Uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that so many folks tell me it is um and then i, I mean if i could do a jerry Maguire dance i would do it mm-hmm. um and i've asked them and they brought me to conferences and i listened to everybody and i said all right so show me the money and people kept walking up and i said i don't see it show me the money um and so i i, I do have clients that have been successful um, doing that, but they do seem to be, they're not the rule. Does that make sense?
1: At this point, but that is the way things happen. I, I look at the adoption curve as a kind of model that's pretty consistent. So where you live and where you work is you work with, you know, innovators and early adopters, and then you get them over the hump so that actually is, is implemented, as so they become the early majority. There's enough of what we're speaking about in terms of integration of the early majority beginning to appear. You know, I think so.
0: Actually, I agree with that.
1: And you've got Kaiser, and you've got the Marshfield Clinic, and you've got Harvard Medical, and you've got you know they're, they're it, I hate to use the example but you know remember when the virus came there was one little red dot and then the red dots began larger and larger <laughs> that's the kind of how things grow here
0: it but does it, seem to be reaching a, a bit of a crescendo yes exactly mm-hmm. and then when mark cooper says hey pat i want to talk to you about medical dental integration i'm like well good lord it is everywhere you
1: know, I, it was interesting. One of the things, people have been working on this for 25 years. One of the entities have people that have, of, the, of the originating founders, three have died. You know, it's it's kind of like, it has a whole history and a whole culture and a whole tribe. And then Mark Cooper walks in and, you know, it looks like a carpetbagger just walked in and wants to, and wants to <laughs> do so. Um, I'm really committed to altering how dentists are, who dentists are in the world, they are under. They underestimate their value, and uh, I'm a dentist. And there's something, uh, and I'll use a word I often use, ontological. There's something about the way they could be in the world that would make a huge difference to the health of the of the country. And boy, wouldn't that be something if this took on a greater responsibility and capacity to contribute to the system so it worked better and people got healthier. It's not magic. So that that's my that's my mission right now. And you're, interestingly enough, you're gonna help me do this because you're working with good people that ought to be (laughs) gonna be invited to my conference now that you have a scholarship um that you know what does that
0: come to- with the presidential suite
1: uh, almost uh, uh, except it's in the basement but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> no windows presidential suite
0: yeah, as long as it has indoor plumbing i'll be all right oh
1: man so thanks for having this conversation i think it's useful i think you'll, you know it, it really will have people think so my prediction is 2030 31 the whole thing will shift And um, I do believe, at least from the rumors I'm engaged in, the gossip I'm engaged in, that um, Medicare is going to be somehow included in dental benefits somehow, because it's just—I
0: know some people lobbying for that. Yes, you know, but it's there's a lot of other motives for that that. Uh, I don't think it would be appropriate for this particular show, but I'll, I'll share with you. Maybe we do another show. Um, but there's a lot of reasons that folks want that to happen that aren't as altruistic as your motives.
1: Exactly. You know, for them, it, 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 greed and profit-driven is okay. I don't mind that as the third legs of the triangle. just want to put that third leg in there pretty solidly so that dentists don't get screwed that's part of my mission here it's like boy if they're not at the table
0: if well that's definitely where i you and me are uh copacetic on that's our mission right so if you want to include our clients and maybe even you know some folks that aren't our clients and just people that i talk to you know uh It's well if you want to include the provider community, and we're the bridge to the provider community. Our job is to protect their interests, and a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, payer community, they don't get. And so, I you guys have to articulate it to me so that I can then you know interpret it. Um, And well, that's the
1: purpose of our conference is to get those guys in the room, guys and gals, and have this straight conversation. Here's what causes this. Number one is the science has really pushed forward to understand the periodontal infection or inflammation, and it's in inter- a relationship. Well, how it works, the way it works, and how it works with the vascularity and the kidney and the heart and the, all these things is is really interconnected to to having a, a gingival inflammation. And so
0: then, let me ask you this kind of a clinical question: as you're a clinician. And so you're looking at that data and it impresses you and you know, I'm a data guy. I'm an insurance guy. I, I look at trends, but I'm, I'm not clinical. And so to me, the, the question sort of in the back of my mind was, is this because are they having periodontal problems because of the underlying chronic condition or is the periodontal problems b- one of the causes of the yeah, chronic yeah. condition?
1: Um, where they are now in terms of the research, as I understand it, is they're calling it bidirectional. You know, they occur concurrently. to find out which is the initial causative agent is the next round of research that needs to get done. What they've noted is is that the same that if you look at the inflammatory response, There is something that happens called cytokinines that's pretty popular since COVID came. One of our uh, people calls periodontal inflammation, infection, a COVID storm because it produces all those things, and then the research shows that those cytokinines get into the bloodstream and go to certain organ systems that have weaknesses or, or have infection going. So right now it's looked at as a bi-directional thing. If you've got one, you've got the other, and that they it's the, it's the vicious cycle. They both contribute to each other's disease state. W- which one initiates that? I think we're probably 10 years away. But it's obvious, you know, that, mm, we have uh, on our website a appendix. We're the first one to do one. It has articles about each of the disease states that has uh, been researched from Alzheimer's, cancer, uh, <clears throat> diabetes, pre-diabetics, you know, the whole deal. So there is just something that is certainly clear now. In the next couple months, there will be a – high-level cohort study of people who have had certain chronic conditions that have had their teeth cleaned on a routine basis as opposed to a control group that did their usual. Mm -hmm. Outcomes, both from a systemic measurement point of view, as well as a care gap closure point of view, are dramatic. So the, the quality of evidence, you, you, you know, ask why now? Well, the quality of evidence is starting to reach a really high point here. You know, you know, if I'm some guy reading uh, in the government and I got medical on as part of my levels of accountability and I read that article, I, it's going to change my mind. So, cohort study is, is is they're about to be launched. It'll be pretty interesting to see the response in the communities and the industries.
0: Hmm. Good. That's very important. Yeah. I'd like to. I'm. I'd like to see that because I, I. I get what you're saying, and I agree with it. Actually, so we're not talking about a, a minor or small amount of money.
1: No, we're talking. It, it, it's interesting. So we have a $3.8 trillion medical industry, and, and dentistry is less than 5%. But I think, and I, this is all my made-up bullshit, so be careful, I think if dentistry can get done to the population, that 5% that dentistry costs the system is going to be minuscule compared to what the system saves in terms of chronic health care management if dentistry can be included. So that's, that's how I see it right now.
0: Well, you've piqued my interest and I'm excited to be there on scholarship. Okay. You have to at the conference. What does that mean? Like I don't have to walk around with a like trainee or something like a bumper sticker that says student driver.
1: My vision, the conferences that I've done before, interestingly enough, um, I want to bring the industry together. Everyone's in their own bubble. Everyone's, you know, if I'm insurance, I talk to other insurance people. If I'm in supplies, I talk to other suppliers. I mean, we have end users and we have customers, but we don't talk about working together to figure this out. But everybody's working on it. So I think the conversation can occur where people actually see that they need to change how they relate to each other to move forward to make this happen. So there'll be an industry change, I believe. So I'm I'm, I'm going for the whale not, or the whole elephant, you know, not just
0: the... Well, uh, what I like about you, Mark Cooper, is that you play a big boy ball. and I like big boy ball too. Um, so are you saying that we should... Uh, would you like me to get this message out to some of uh, my colleagues out there in the insurance industry?
1: Uh, yeah, I'd like you to push this out as far as you can. What I will do is our website will be uh, launched on January 4th. We've been sending out little uh, MailChimps if you've gotten them, or I'll send it back to you uh, so that you can send it to them. That has what we have is called speaker trailers, so they can get a sense of the people who are going to be speakers there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll have something to push out for them. Yeah, Patrick, you know, I the first time I met you, it was like a surprise. And then the second time we did this thing with a, another dentist, which was a surprise. So you are just a man of surprises for me. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that good? I, I want to thank you for that. I, I no, love it's that. My, my pleasure. Uh, wow. So it's, it's always a pleasure talking to you, Mark Cooper. Um, I like what you're doing. I like your tooth spa. I like your mission. And, you know, I also admire your passion a lot. I do. Okay. Um well and there it is that was my conversation with Dr. Mark Cooper. Big thanks to Dr. Mark Cooper and BC Consultants and our sponsor Practice Quotient PPO Negotiations and Analysis www.practicequotient.com. You can also call their offices at 470-592-1680. That's Practice Quotient PPO Negotiations and Analysis. Headquartered in Georgia, a National Fern specializes in top tier compensation for top tier doctors. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Until next time, this is your host.